Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, what a show, the educational show this is going to be tonight. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I, I say educational, but it's really going to be more of a, a coaching and teaching and learning session, and it's going to be a spiritual type thing. It's just going to be a wonderful, wonderful, powerful show, something that's long overdue, Brian. I really do believe that we should have found our guests a long time ago. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, Dare I say for the shameless plug, <laughs> it's going to be a mind-altering show tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, you should be ashamed. You should. <laughs> but no, to be honest, I mean, I think that what we get from our guests tonight will, you know, change the minds of a lot of people. It will, you know, enlighten them to, you know, the opportunities they have within themselves. You know, so many people get caught up in the hype of, well, Maybe I can do this, maybe I can do that. Or how does this person have more than I do? Or why does this person, you know, always seem to get the best of the best? And why am I always left, you know, with the scraps? Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, once we listen, hear from our host, I mean our guest tonight, you know, we'll get a a better understanding of, you know, what life is and, you know, how to be more affirming with what what God has given us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brian, I, I'm so glad that she's on because you have so many people on one side believing that you can have the things in life that you want. And, Brian, we're also going to touch on the laws of attraction. Mm-hmm. We're going to touch yeah. on that. I think a lot of people are turned off by it. I believe a lot of people are turned on by it. But I think there's a lot of confusion with it. I talked with some people before, and they said, well, that's just not possible. That's just some rhetoric. That that, that thing is just crazy. People believe in this stuff, and it's, and some people are coming on television. They're lying. They're being paid to say these things. But, Brian, I think what happens is people uh, turn against things that they really don't have the knowledge and education about. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that, and I think we're going to have an understanding of what it's all about, uh, and we have a, understand, a better understanding of who we are and, and some of the things that we can do that we never thought that we could do. Exactly, exactly. Well, Greg, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce tonight's show and tonight's guest. The segment for tonight is called When Life Says No. And mm. if you have comments or questions, our call-in number is 718 508 9600 that's 7185089600 you can also email myself or greg uh you can email greg at gregory turner at abundantsolutionsenterprises.com and you can email me brian at info@mindalteringstrategies.com at or you can check us out on myspace greg's myspace is myspace.com asc motivation and mine is myspace.com, Brian J. Henderson. All right. So tonight's guest is Miss Rowena Williams. I'm sorry, Rowena Beck. I'm reading something else here. Uh, Rowena Beck has been working in the realm of personal development and transformation for many years. She has developed a coaching program that will successfully target your challenges and transform them into areas of strength. As founder and spiritual director of A Different Thought, a community for conscious living, Ms. Beck has conducted a multitude of teleseminars on spirituality and personal development. She is co-founder of Have You Read It Yet?, a reading room blog for arts and letters, and has been a business consultant to a major real estate development company in Atlanta. Ms. Beck, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Ms. Beck. to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be on with you both. Yes, and it's a pleasure to have you. I'm going to start off. Your company, tell us, well, first of all, tell us about who Rowena Beck is. Well, there's a, <laughs> I can go on for hours about who I am. But in <laughs> short, what I like to define myself most uh, through is my uh, work in the personal development area. 
I have a coaching practice, and my coaching practice is, is sort of split into two. One is a healing dialogue practice, and that practice is a, for people who are going through traumatic events or have gone through traumatic events and they need a healing process because before we can go on to meeting our goals and the laws of attraction, there has to be sort of a clean slate. If you have a lot of trauma in your life or a lot of dysfunction, sadness, depression, anxiety, we need to heal some of that first before you try to add more things to that because then it becomes very confusing for the person. The other part of it is a result coaching portion of my practice, and with that um, I work with individuals usually one-on-one to target their goals and to find a real way to get there. Sometimes you find people say, oh, you can do anything, but nobody ever tells you how are you going to really get there. If you decide tomorrow that, you know, I, I cook really well and I think I want to open a a restaurant, people get stuck in the feeling about what they want, what they think that feels like. They go into a beautiful restaurant and they see it and they're like, oh, I could do this, I I wish I could have that. And so there's a feeling that they're going for. And what I try to do in my coaching practice is say, okay, now let's take it way back. Let's get to the beginning. What, What can you do? What do you want to do? Let's identify what you need to do. How are you going to do it? Organize your thoughts, and then I like to put everybody on an elimination diet. Eliminate negative thinking, eliminate neutral thinking, and eliminate magical thinking. Mm. Once we've eliminated those things, now we have a slate that we can start to write on. So, do you cook well? If you can't cook, maybe a restaurant (laughs) or being a chef in a restaurant is not the best thing for you. But maybe you like the business angle of owning a restaurant. So we have to really identify what it is that people want. People are a little vague sometimes with with what they want because many times we're searching for a feeling. We're not happy or content where we are now. We're in a dead-end job or a dead-end relationship or a dead-end whatever it may be, and we're searching for a feeling. And so we attach ourselves to something that may not be quite right for us or may not be what we really want. Yeah. You know, uh, I was just thinking about something you said. The first part of what your what your company does is you deal in healing. And, you know, Greg will chime in, I'm sure, but this is something that Greg talks about all the time. You know, he talks about before you can go forward, you have to be able to heal and the only way you can heal is you have to forgive the person that has done something wrong to you. You have to forgive the situation that you were put in or maybe you put yourself in. Sometimes you have to forgive yourself. Absolutely. You know. But I guess my next question is you said the second part of your company deals with results. Now, you say the results are based on what you want to do. You know, if it's something that you like doing, you know, you have to eliminate eliminate the negative parts of it or the parts that don't fit. You know, like if you if like you said, if you want to cook and you don't know how to cook, maybe you like the business aspect. But if you're not good in the business aspect, you know, maybe that's not the thing you want to be doing. You know, exactly. And I and I and I agree with that, and I connect with that. But let's say it's a person that's dealing with something that's maybe not a business-related aspect. Let's say it's something on a personal level. You know, what would be some of the things that you've experienced, you know, from your one-on-one, you know, coaching with people that they've, that they've gone through? Well, um, you, you just mentioned forgiveness. I find that that's one of the major, major barriers um, to people's fulfillment, success, openness. Um, you know, the the purpose for us on the planet is for each of us to to flower. That's why we're really here, to heal up whatever holds in the soul that we have and to flower, to continue to process, to develop and unfold. However, it's kind of like having a plant in your home. If there's a plant in your home, it needs sun, it needs water, maybe it needs some fertilizer, whatever you do to, to nurture that plant. If you ignore the plant, the plant withers. You still have a pot there, and there may be some stumps there 
and the dirt is dry, and it's still sitting on your windowsill, but nothing's happening. And so I think for a lot of people that either they're afraid to go in or they don't even realize that something's wrong, that there is something to heal, that there is something to forgive. So I think it's, it's as they would say in the 12-step tradition, we, we all must do that fearless self-inventory. You know, and if your life is going well and it works, then it works. You know, if it works, it works. But for most people, I talk to them and I find that we'll talk, and, and I'm usually in the beginning with the healing dialogue, but I just talk. We just talk about anything. And then they'll say something and I'll say, well, what about this? Or they'll react to something a certain way. And you can tell a lot about people's reaction. People are very uh, quick to anger or they're nervous or they're shy where they don't need to be shy. And these are are, are are in their their bodies or their their energy fields because of some historical thing in their life. And so what we tend to do sometimes with with traumatic events or unforgiving events or events that anger us is we build a shrine to that pain. So we're always sort of worshiping at that altar of that pain. He did this to me. She did this to me. I didn't have enough of this. My childhood was that. And you got to get to the point of forgiveness, but before you can forgive it, you have to identify it. Mm. You know, uh, this is Greg. Uh, so many times we deal with people, Brian and I, we deal with people. We go into jails, prisons, detention centers, and places like that, and I just left uh, teaching an abstinence course uh, with some kids, mm-hmm. and I was listening to some of the conversations that we had going back and forth. And the one thing that the kids are saying is, I'm a product of bad parenting or I'm a product of a bad environment. At what point do, does that cycle that the parents are passing on to their children, at what point can they break that cycle and, and, and be, productive, be productive and live the dreams and go after these things that they want in their life? What, what are some of the things that they can do to change what's been happening um, pretty much like a curse on their family almost. Like a generational curse sometimes. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, I, I like to say generational curses for me, are, it's just that we got an idea, a bad idea, and we're just going to keep riding that idea generation after, after generation. So generational curses can be broken. And I, and I do say generational curses, and I put that in quotation marks, because I think it's, it's, it's an energy that, that can be broken at any time. How it's broken is by, ident- again, we go back to identification. Okay, so you had a rotten childhood. I mean rotten. It was horrible. Your parents were wrong. Yes, we all agree they were wrong. They didn't nurture you the right way. Yes, we agree. We agree with all of those things. The question the person has to ask themselves is, okay, I had this rotten start. Now what? Hmm. This is when I talk about building that shrine to the past. If you're constantly worshiping at that shrine of your past, you never have time to even look to the left or the right, much less go anywhere. Because your one song is, I had a rotten start. And somehow people don't want to let go of that because in letting go of it, it feels like they never got justice for it. Right. And unfortunately, life is like that you're not always going to have an answer as to why this happened. You're not always going to be able to get the level of sorry that you should get or you deserve. So you have to at some point say to yourself, how much of my life am I going to spend worshiping something that does not exist any longer? The only way it exists is because you're keeping it alive in your mind. So that energy doesn't exist any longer, but we keep it alive, and then you can always get a, a group of people to agree with you. Right. You tell somebody something bad about your childhood, for example. People want to hear it. They'll ask you questions about it. You can find a million people to listen to you. And so what happens is you bring it forth, you nurture it. Then I tell it to Greg, and Greg nurtures it. Then I tell it to Brian, and Brian nurtures it. Then I find Susie, I tell her. And she nurtures it. Carolyn Miss is a medical intuitive, and she refers to this cycle as woundology. When you have a wound and you just keep nursing it and nursing it and nursing it. So I think that the first thing is that you have to go back and be loving with yourself and say, I may not have had it. I may never get that sorry. 
I may never get that nurturing, but what am I going to do for me? Do I spend the next 25 years showing everybody how wrong they were and how right I am, or do I try to find some happiness? Right. Wow. You know, and it's hard for some people to identify with that. You know, it's hard for some people to finally say, okay, look, I'm going to put that away because they've let it grow and fester so long that, and then they've gotten used to it. It's almost like when you gained weight, you get your, you know, your body adapts to the weight. Now you may have issues with the weight, you know, maybe some health related issues or something like that, but you tend to, your body tends to adapt to the weight, whether it be a positive way of adapting or a negative way. And, you know, having to shed all that weight, if you're able to do it in one fell swoop, you know, your body's going to react differently. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's the same thing on the mental side. Having to just get rid of all that stuff at one fell swoop, it's not easy for some people. And so they, they kind of, they they prefer not to get rid of it because they've become so familiar with it. You're absolutely right. The thing about you're invested in it. You spent a lot of time building this up. So now to just walk away from it seems like, uh, but what, 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 you know, that, at least that's something in your hand. You know, it's traumatic, it's horrible, but you're holding on to something. Now to just put it down and walk away from it, it feels like you've invested so much into it. But what happens is, and when we are attached to that woundology or we're attached to drama or we're attached to those distractions, it's because we don't know what to do without them. Who am I without that identification? Who am I without being identified as an abused child? Who am I without being identified as being a teenage mother or an ex-convict? Who am I without that identification? And that journey to who you are is a journey. And like with any other trip, you have to prepare and pack. So you don't go out on a journey. You're not going to say, I'm going to take a hike and not take water with you, maybe um, uh, some towels, you know, um, you, you might take some extra shoelaces just in case they, they you know, whatever, you, you take on a hike and, and some beef jerky, whatever your thing is. You have to pack. You have to pack for that de- de- departure from low self-esteem. It's not just a snap of the finger where you're going to be like, oh, you know what, I love myself. It doesn't work like that. And unfortunately, magazines and books promote it like it's an overnight thing because we, we are our television and movie culture in which, you know, everybody's jacked up in the first 15 minutes of the show, then we have a commercial, and then everything's fine in the next 15 minutes. And we know that life doesn't work like that. So life works that you're trying to change your life, and then Tuesday at 3 o'clock, somebody says something to you that triggers something, and you're in the bathroom crying. That's real life. Right. right. So pack for your journey. And when I say pack for the journey, identify what what's going to be my fall safe. Where am I going to go to? Am I going to use a series of books? Am I going to use a spiritual outlet? Is it going to be church for me? Is it going to be therapy? And certainly, um, you know, we have to open our minds to therapy. You know, it's amazing to me how so many, and I talk to, you know, young men, young women, everything, so many people will medicate themselves with marijuana and not see that as an issue. But you tell them to go to therapy. I'm not crazy. (laughs) So you can medicate with marijuana and alcohol, and that's normal, but you can't go to therapy. So we have to break away from this sort of stale thinking. And that's exactly what it is. Do you think that that still thinking is based on the people that we choose to have in our inner circle? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But but it's not that we are choosing. When you're when you have that stale thinking, you're not making any choices. Right. You are with who will support that energy. If you have a, a negative energy, you're carrying that weight, that burden, that sadness. It's like. Um, if you're a woman who has had a bad relationship with a man, and it's a really horrible situation for you, and so you call your girlfriends up, and they all have horrible situations. So the five of us, we can talk and eat, you know, hogging dogs on Saturday nights and talk about how bad men are. <laughs> well, that energy is solidifying as we go round and round with the conversation. 
the person who says in that group, you know, I've got to get out of this, is the one who finds a man and gets married. Mm-hmm. Because she's willing to let go of an idea. So she's gone now, and the four of us now click back into our circle and keep going on about how bad they are, how horrible it is. How he, Do you remember when Ronnie did so-and-so? Do you remember when Johnny did so-and-so? Do you remember when Sam did so-and-so? And we just keep it going, keep it going. Instead of doing the exact opposite, opening yourself to saying, I'm ready to the universe for a wonderful, dynamic, out-of-this-world kind of man. And the four of you keep talking about how wonderful Mr. Wonderful is going to be and how wonderful it's going to be and how you all four are open and receptive. Do that for 10, 20 Saturday nights and see the difference in the energy. See what you attract. Mm. Hmm. You know, it's funny you would say that because, you know, we were talking earlier about the law of attraction. You know, can you give us some sort of a, uh, a quick, version of what the law of attraction is and what it means? Sure. The law of attraction, and you'll have different people explain it different ways, but for to me, it's what your mind, what's going on in your mind and your your body vibrationally, that alignment produces something. So we've been talking about, you know, heavy, heavy energy, so let's talk about something. So if you're a jealous and uh, manipulative person, and you think the people are out to get you, and you can't ever get anything, and nothing ever works for me, but that's why I have to get mine. I've got to take care of myself. And you have that kind of back-and-forth banter and dialogue going on. That's low energy. So you're vibrating on a very low level. And then your mind, the story in your mind, connects with the vibration, and you manifest situations in which you have to look out for yourself, where people are out to get you, where no one trusts you and you don't trust anyone. So now you meet these situations in the world and you say, see, I told you I have to watch my back. Yeah, you vibrated that and you attracted that. Now let's look at the high energy. Vibrationally, you say the world is mine. There is nothing that I can't have. I love people and they love me. I can give freely because I know the universe has an endless supply and is always open to giving me back. No problem. You walk in the world that way, you vibrate and you receive on that level. You don't see the pitfalls. You see that someone's always helping you. Someone's always opening a door for you. And we have to be careful because when we watch movies like The Secret or we talk about attraction, we're looking for some big ticket item all the time. Well, I want to live in a mansion. Well, go ahead and try to vibrate that, but what about the fact that someone just, open the, the, the door at the grocery store for you, or that you weren't expecting a check, but somebody gave you a $50 rebate. Let's look at the snowflakes and not wait for the avalanche. When we're waiting for avalanche, the avalanche is this big snowfall of whatever abundance to come. We miss out on the little things. But the little pieces, every time you get something, every time that something goes right, it adds to your vibration if you stop and you're grateful and be thankful. So no matter what you get, I don't care if somebody gives you a pack of Pop-Tarts, be extremely grateful. It raises your vibration, and you attract more. And you think the reason that people just don't buy into the law of attraction is because they really don't understand it? You think that's probably what it is? I think we've been taught that life is hard, that you have to suffer, you get nothing for free, hard, 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 hard. We're taught that. And so, therefore, after a lifelong learning of how hard it is, how you don't get something for nothing, you, you need to deserve everything you get, and that whole consequential way of thinking that we've been taught, who can just pop out and say, I'm Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky, the world is my oyster? It doesn't work like that. So you have to, again, identify what's your thought pattern. What do you believe about yourself in the world? You know, if you have a spiritual connection to God or God as you understand God, no matter what your religion is, you have to think to yourself, like a parent, would a parent send you out into, the, uh, into a world without preparing you or giving you something? We each come to this planet with a spiritual inheritance. We all have it. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of tapping into it. 
But if I don't believe I have it, I'm never going to open my pocketbook, my quote-unquote pocketbook, to, to get anything out of it because I don't believe it exists. So you and I would – sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, and I would challenge anybody to consistently catch your thoughts for a period of 30, 30 days. Look at yourself, set yourself up and say, for the next 30 days, I'm just going to watch how I think. It would blow you away how many negative thoughts you have in one day. If you're really mindful of it, you're constantly saying, let me relanguage that. Let me say that a different way. You know, I talk to people all the time and they'll say, well, I can't and I never. And I, I'm like, whoa, 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 back it up. And that's with health or whatever. I get up in the morning and I immediately say, I'm in perfect divine health. There is no disorder or dis- dysfunction in my body. I'm in perfect divine health. You know, it's funny because when I used to tell people don't say that you're sick or don't say that, you know, you don't feel well or whatever, because I always say whatever you think you feel like, that's how you're going to feel. You're right. You know, it's almost like when you're not really sick and then you call in sick, then -hmm. you don't feel good that day. Right. (laughs) You know, it's almost like, you know, it's like thinking and then it, whatever you think and it, it becomes, you become that or that particular thing happens it's a law and action and i would you know suggest to anybody who's trying to really understand um the concepts um and the law of attraction has become sort of like a really trendy sort of kitschy thing to say now but the concept these are not new concepts right, right. they're old or older than the bible so they're not new concepts and there's a book called it's a very big book but you can you know skip around through it it's, a, it's the science of mind by ernest holmes Mm-hmm. And it's he talks about the science of your mind and how we attract and and he uses uh, biblical teachings also to explain that this is all in the Bible. This is this is nothing. You know, I'm not that familiar with the Quran, but I would press to say that it's in the Quran. I would press to say that it's in the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu text. I would press to say in all of the great traditions and all of the great religions, there is that link to spiritual inheritance. Mm-hmm. Why can't we have it all? Why not? Yeah, I, you know, and I totally agree. I mean, I believe that anything that you put your mind to and you put effort towards, you can, you know, if you believe you can achieve, I truly believe in that. You know, but we have so many people who say, ah, oh, that's just a slogan. Or, you know, uh, don't tell me that I don't feel sick. Don't tell me not to say I'm sick. I'm sick, mm-hmm. you know. And they have, the, and like you said, they feed this negative energy. And, you know, I've always learned anything you feed will grow and anything you starve will die. There but you go. so many people, I guess they believe that if you don't feed this and you, you allow it to die, then you've killed it, <laughs> you know. And, you know, and, and dare I say they, they'll go and use biblical, thou shalt not kill, so I'm not going to kill that. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, so I, I'm, I'm going to try to set this up the way that I think um, you you can understand it. Let's say I'm in a situation where I want to do good because, you know, we meet people that are in these, that feel like they're trapped, you mm-hmm. know, so. Let's say I'm in a situation where I want to do the right thing, but doing the right thing will cause me uh, to have to go back and pay for the damage that I've caused in the past. You know, mm. it's sort of like like an example would be like, let's say uh, I want to right myself because a long time ago I, I robbed a bank. But I know if I go and say, okay, I want to write myself and tell everybody I robbed a bank, I'm going to do 30 years in prison. Right. You know, so how do you meet that hap- How do you meet that medium where you do the right thing, but you don't receive the punishment that, that you're supposed to get? Well, that's a, you know, I, I, let, me, let me clarify something about the law of attraction, about the, the whole thing. I believe that, of our life is based on attraction, how we think and what we do. And 15% of our lives is based on mystery, meaning we'll never know why things happen. We'll never know why somebody falls out of 
14 stories and survives and somebody else trips and dies, certain things we just don't know. So if you have something in your life that needs to be righted and the consequence for writing that is, is large, it's monumental, you have to really sit with yourself. You know, we can't give a blanket answer about that because it would depend on what it is. We have to really, you have to sit with yourself to, to think to yourself, there may be a consequence for it. We don't know. Now, okay, let's go a step further with that. So you robbed the bank. You want to confess now because you feel you need to tell. And you go, you tell the cops, they find out you did it, but if you did, boom, now you get 30 years. Okay, so you're in 30 years in federal prison. Then you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, somebody with a big, bright idea told me to go confess, and now look at me. Here I am. I'm stuck. The question would be for yourself now, first of all, what was your motivation in, 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 in writing that in that way? See, I think that if some things are done, some things you got to confess. I mean, I think some things, depending on who you are and depending on what you did, you might just have to just do the time, so to speak, whether that time means jail time or that means the time of everybody being angry with you because uh, they know that you're the one who stole the stuff, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes, you know, life is not without consequence, and I would never want to imply that the law of attraction is going to get you out of doing things that you, you, you shouldn't have done. But I would say that in the midst of it, while you're thinking about how you want to resolve it, go about correcting your karma. Go about doing as much good as you can do. Go about being of as much service as you can to, in your mind at least, in your energetic space, you're lessening that karmic debt. That would be my suggestion because, you know, I think that depending, it really depends on the individual and what happened and what they did. You know, you know certainly certain things are 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 unforgivable for some people. And I think that if, when you look in spiritual uh, lingo and spiritual text, we understand that for God or in the mind of God, divine intelligence, however you understand God, all things can be forgiven. However, in our human form, we have um, so a social contract and, and laws and things in which we agree that are bad things and not so good, such good things. So, you have to decide, are, are you willing to pay the consequence for what your action was? And if you are, then feel free to go and tell them that you robbed the bank. And if you are not prepared to do that, and it does not include somebody else, in other words, you're not, your action is not now going to put somebody else in jeopardy or put them behind bars unjustly. If that's not the thing, then go about healing. Go about, go, go forward Forget about the bank robbery for right now and go forward doing as much good as you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you know what? Brian and I, we, we volunteer so much. Sometimes sometimes we get beat in the ground and, and, and we hear it when we come home and sometimes we're in the doghouse because we volunteer and try to do so much. It's almost like when you're out there helping people, it's almost, uh, it becomes contagious. I mean, because you want to just continue doing and doing and doing and helping people. And that's something that we love doing. And I tell you what, there's no better feeling. There's no uh, amount of money that can give you that feeling when you're out there helping and doing something for someone. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yes. So, you know, do you think, I, I, we had some guests on the show, uh, I think it was Mildred Muhammad, the mm-hmm. the wife, the ex-wife of the DC sniper. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She she said that in the middle of her storm, when she was at her lowest point, when, she, when her children were taken away for 18 months, when she didn't know where they were, she couldn't hear them, she said that she did everything that she could to help someone else, and that's how she made it through. Right. Yeah. Do Do you think uh, when we're in that depressed state, when we think that there's nothing else we can do in our lives, do you think that it's a good thing for us to get up and get out and do something for someone else? Absolutely. I think if it's if you're able to do that, I think unfortunately with things like depression, extreme anxiety, and situations is that people can't get past themselves to help. 
you know, even they may be in their core good people, but it's such a cloud and it's such an internal prison that they're locked in that as much as it would be helpful for them to help someone else, they can't get past themselves to do it. But being of service, and I, I really want to mention, uh, talk about that a little bit, being of service is a wonderful thing. And we have to understand that for some people, service means going into prisons. For other people, service means getting on a plane and going to Pakistan or Africa and feeding hungry children. Service, everybody has a different way of showing up on the planet and, and being of service to other people. So never negate what you have to offer. If your service is that you are the person who smiles, you're the bank teller that smiles, and everybody who comes on that line that in front of you always gets a wonderful smile and a hello and how are you and isn't the weather great from you, don't negate that because everything we do, we should be living a life of service. We should be breathing service. Everything that we do should be of service. The question should be, and we're not always good enough to do this, but the question should be, how can I serve today, sweet spirit? How can I serve today? If we start our lives, our mornings, with that question, the universe will rush opportunities to us, and they don't have to be monumental. You don't have to climb a mountain and plant a flag and, you know, save 10,000 people. But you'd be surprised how a smile, a kind word, can make the difference in someone's life. And that is an act of service. Yes, it is. Yeah. You know, when you're, in, when you're um, out doing your life coaching, mm-hmm. how does that give us an idea of a typical situation where when you're coaching? I mean, I... From reading the information on your website, I see that you offer phone services, you yeah. offer uh, email services. Right. You know, so give us an idea if, if you actually had to do a telephone coaching, and who would it be? You know, what what do you just do? You offer it individually? Do you offer it by groups? Pretty much, um, I do individuals. I have a group that I run on, and I can I don't I give the number out, up, which is a a free way to to do sort of some work if you are interested in doing some metaphysical and spiritual work. Every single Sunday at eleven o'clock, I do a, a phone service, and this phone phone conference call is free. And we come on, and we I usually read from something, play a piece of music, and then we get into a dialogue about whatever that spiritual topic is or that metaphysical topic is. Sometimes it's the ego, sometimes it's forgiveness, sometimes it's giving, whatever. So that would be a more of a group. I want to call it coaching so much on Sundays, but it, it's a group dynamic. Right. My practice of coaching, I usually work with the individual. So I'll set up a time with someone. I always ask the person to come with a, a pen and a, and a notepad and to keep a notebook because we, we try to build on the sessions. And the first thing we would do if I had a new person, the first thing I'd do is I need to get to know you. So just sort of tell me a little bit about yourself and we kind of have a, a dialogue around that. And then I'll say, well, what, what are you feeling now? What's going on in your spiritual center and what's going on in your body, what's going on in your mind and with your emotions? And most people are like, well, I don't know. I just kind of feel like... I don't know, I want to do something in my life, but I don't know what it is, and I don't know, I don't know. So they have trouble identifying. So we have to spend time now identifying, trying to figure out what it is that's not working for you. When we identify what's not working, then I build a recipe to make something work. So it's like baking a cake. I look at your situation, I take your personality into consideration, and one of the things, and I would tell this to everybody, all of your listeners, whether you're getting coaching from someone on the outside or you're trying to help yourself, know your pattern. Don't try to work a pattern off somebody else's pattern because you think you should be that kind of a person. Know yourself. For example, I'm a person that if I have to write something, a magazine article or whatever it is, I'm, I can have the assignment six weeks ahead of time. I'm never going to start six weeks ahead of time. It's just not who I am. So 
many people think, well, I, I need to be the kind of person who gets ready and I prepare and I do this. I want to be, and they get so fixated on wanting to be the way they think it should be that you waste a whole lot of time. Let's look at who you are. Do you like to sleep late? Do you get up early? Do you eat a lot of sugar? We need to know all those things about you because then we know what your, your, your sort of your energy is, what your movement is. So for a person like me, if I were coaching myself, I'd say, well, first of all, Ro, you know you don't like to do things way ahead of time. I mean, you'd like to do them, but you don't. So how do you now get that article written or that thing done? Well, for me, I know I think a lot. So I'll have an envelope in my pocket and I jot and I jot and I jot and I jot. So six weeks later when I have to really sit down and actually do the article, I have two envelopes full of notes. Somebody else would just sit down and write the article. That's not my pattern. So you have to know your pattern. So I want to identify that person's pattern, how they work, what, when they're happy, when they're sad. Are they night people? Do they get depressed a lot? Are they anxious? Do they like crowds? Do they hate crowds? All of that is important. Then we sit down and start to look, well, what do you like to do? What would you do for free? If you had to do something for the rest of your life and not get paid for it, but you had to do it, what would it be? Mm. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, I, I wanted to ask this question because I, I just really do believe that with with this presidential and this election this year, mm. that everything that's going on, I, I is it just me or or can you see the fake um, and how the press is is doing this thing? And it, it it it's almost as if they're playing on the ignorance of the American people. I don't want to put you out there in politics, but when when you start talking about uh, what people think, it, it, it's a big thing, and a lot of people think that, well, we don't really have any say-so uh, on what the government does. That's not true, because what they're looking for, they, they, they want to know what you think. They'll throw something out there just to see how you're going to respond to it. And to see the way the thing is going today, when you watch when you watch the the, the news, and I'm not asking you to, to, to say who you who you like in this race, but mm-hmm. when you watch it, what do you what do you think? Is, is it something like, oh my goodness, this is I mean, this is the worst thing. The way that they're trying to make people think a certain way. Do, do you think? Do you what do you get when you watch it? Well, certainly that's the press's job. <laughs> the, jo- yeah. the, the press, the job of the press, will never be to 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 reveal truth and to expand. It's what can I do for drama? The the press is like the, um, you know, everybody has a neighborhood neighbor who's a drama queen or a drama king. Right. This is always some drama surrounding that person. No matter what it is, something he or she's into something. You can guarantee, and re- you can go away and come back, and they're still dramatic. Metaphorically, that's the press. The press is just a big drama queen. Whatever they can do to get that sound bite, to get more ratings. They don't care if they'll put you in prison behind it. That is what they do. So for most of us, we believe that if we read it in the New York Times or we see it on CNN, it is true. Yes. And we now know for many reasons that even in this last administration that many things they said clearly on TV ended up not being true. But for us, it would require work and responsibility to seek out information. So I just watch CNN and they say, okay, all right, I can't be bothered. But there's so much truth out there to be found. You have to dig a little bit. You don't even have to dig. You just have to stop and think. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Does, uh, does this sound right? <laughs> Something about this is odd. It's called That's spin. <laughs> what did you say? I'm sorry. I say it's called spin. <laughs> yeah, it's a spin. And so that's what they do. I mean, I was just a while, um, and I'm a person, I'm, I don't really to get into the news or all that a lot because there's a wonderful minister in California, uh, Michael Beckwith, who says that the uh, newspaper is nothing but a prayer request, and I tend to agree with him. <laughs> But, you know, we never hear any good news. We, we, we rarely hear something wonderful. It's always something. This uh, kid now, um, just to move off the election for a second, a kid, I think her name is Miley Cyrus. She does Hannah Montana. She's one of these, like, uh, little pop stars or whatever. 
And she took some pictures or something like that. And the way they're harassing that kid, it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think to myself, whether it's that or Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton or whatever, you know, Barack and Hillary will, will rise and fall on their own merit. Right. We don't really need to drag every little thing out. You know, Barack and Hillary, they're not poor things. One is a Yale graduate, the other one's a Harvard graduate. They're going to be all right. But for the average one of us, we need to learn to think for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Whether you like Barack, whether you like Hillary, whether you like McCain, figure it out for yourself. Think, dig. But don't just swallow the pill and then when it explodes in your body, but what happened? <laughs> you know, oh, and that was my little thing. Yeah. But, you know, and that was great because I was just thinking, you know, so many people do that. They they just follow the crowd. Whatever mm-hmm. the crowd says, they do that. And I've had people in my family that'll say on like consequently on election day, they'll say, Brian, who should I vote for? And, I'm, and I always ask them, well, who do you want to vote for? You know, and they'll say, I don't know. Well, I want to vote for this person, but who are you voting for? I say, well, I'm voting for the person I want to vote for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, I try not to just tell them, well, vote for this person because, you know, and usually they ask me, well, who are you voting for? If I tell them, they'll say, well, why are you voting for them? Then I'll explain, well, these are the things that I saw. These are the positives. These are the negatives. You know, but most of the time we never even get that far. Never. You know, because they just want to know, who are you voting for? Okay, I'm voting for that person. You know? Well, and, I mean, that uh, says something about you, too, at the same time, because, it, you know, they obviously have some respect and admiration for your idea and your thoughts about things. So it's kind of like, well, I ain't going to bother doing it, but you know what? Brian got a good idea. Let me <laughs> let me roll with him. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, hey, I appreciate it, but I always try to get people to, you know, have some semblance of critical thinking yes and don't just assume you should go to the person that you think knows the answer because maybe they don't know the answer today at least do some research at least you know usually if i'm if i'm working on something and i can't figure it out before i go and ask the person that i know may have the answer i'm going to try to figure it out i'm going to do a little bit of research i'm not just going to hit a roadblock and say okay let me stop go ask the person that knows how to do this how to do this because you're willing to do the work. I mean, you know, with all due respect to to everybody, sometimes we're a little lazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. Sometimes we can get a little lazy, and you know, we come up with a whole lot of excuses why we don't know this, or we don't want to do this, or we da 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 da. But uh, but the truth of the matter is that it requires an action. So you're going to be the kind of person who says, well, you know, I don't know how to do this. Let me go check it out. Let me check the web or let me get a book or let me, you know, research some way. And somebody else just was, I'll wait till Brian comes home and ask him. Mm-hmm. He'll figure Somebody it out. Just call me. Yeah, call you. <laughs> right. Brian, can you figure this out? Can you Because they just really don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. Or, or do you think that, that, that the way that life feels right now, uh, and, I, and I see it so much with the kids that are graduating and coming out. It, it's almost as if they're afraid to think for themselves. They're study questioning everything, and they're, let, and they're allowing other people to run their homes from the outside, which is just absolutely crazy. I, I see that all the time in the gym. I hear the guys that are married. They're asking questions on how to deal with their marriage and how to make decisions in their own homes. And I'm like, are you kidding me are you crazy you're asking someone to make a financial decision for you that has nothing to lose by you losing everything right and, and they're taking that person what that person's saying to heart and they go home and they try this mess because <laughs> I mean, they, they're fearful i think that a lot of people don't think you know people if you don't have a piece of information or you're not you don't find yourself to be smart in a particular area I think it, it it creates a fear inside of people, and they just want somebody to please just a knight in shining armor, so to speak, just to solve this, just work it out for me. Mm-hmm. And um, the unfortunate part about doing that is that if you're not prepared with some information, then that person is not there, and something comes up, you're stuck because you don't know what to do because you did, you know you had somebody else make the decision for you. Mm. Yes, yes, you know, and. A lot of times people are just looking 
to be validated, you know. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, Greg says it best. You know, sometimes people just want to be heard, and they want to be, you know, well, not just validated. They want people to to go with them. Mm-hmm. You know, they want people to agree with whatever they agree with, even if what they agree with is wrong. Exactly. So they they you know it's a tribal mentality. We we all tend to have that tribal mentality. Is what I was talking about earlier. That if, even if it's something about yourself that's negative, you know, I can get you and so and so and so to agree with me. Mm-hmm. We form a tribal mentality around this thought process or whatever it is, even if it's negative. People, most people don't want to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. Most people don't, unless the truth happens to illuminate them. Yeah, but if it's I'm the truth, say that. <laughs> if they if they can get the good out of it, huh? They, yeah, yeah, the then that's okay. Sure, let's tell the truth. If the truth benefits them, yes, they want to. They want everybody to know it. They'll shout it out themselves. Exactly. The truth, you know, makes them guilty of something. Yeah. Then immediately they'll say that ain't true. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Ms. Beck, I, I want to ask you the question, and it's something. It's very important. It's very, very important question. We see so many people in churches, the faithful ones that are going every day. They're paying their tithes. They're doing all these different things that they're supposed to do, but it's almost like good things are not happening for them, and they're, they're, they're doing everything that they can in the church to make it work for them, but it's almost like they're always struggling all the time. And then you have people that come into the church, and they see these people working really, really hard, and they're like, I could have stayed outside in the world and did better than watching someone in here struggle and try to do the right thing and get absolutely nothing. What is it that that person that's doing all this struggling, what is it that they're doing wrong? They're not doing anything wrong. I mean, you know, for each person who's, quote, unquote, struggling, then we have to really define what we mean by struggling. If we're talking about financial struggles, that can be very challenging. The first thing I, you know, I want to say about that is that we have to really understand we're all not going to be financially wealthy. It's a hard pill to swallow, I know. We're all not going to be financially wealthy. There's a balance to things, and it won't work for everyone. Why doesn't it work for everyone? Nine times out of ten, it's because of the way that person thinks. It's their environment and what they're around, who they surround themselves with, and the mentality they surround themselves with. So let's take nice little lady. She goes to church. She's struggling to do her best. In paying that tithe, she believes that she's 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 helping the, the kingdom of God, but I would venture to say, for many people in that situation, they look to the pulpit to tell them what to do. Yeah. Right there, there's a challenge. There's a problem. There's nothing wrong with certainly listening to your spiritual leader and be guided by your spiritual leader in spiritual things, but your leader is not your psychologist or your life coach or whatever. It's it's he or she is a spiritual leader. Sometimes the the practice of going to church, it becomes someone's whole life. And spirituality can be your whole life, but the church itself should not be your whole life. And what I mean by that is, and this is not, please, I mean, you know, I'm a minister, so let me put that out there. I have nothing against religion or, or spirituality. But I find that it sometimes people find it as a safe haven and they never go out to discover themselves, to become their greater yet to be, because they're just hanging on to this concept of I'm going to be a good Christian and somehow I'm going to get rewarded for that. Where I think God is saying, I appreciate you being a good Christian. I see it. But you know what? I've given you a whole world. Go out there and conquer it. Yeah, you know, and for some people, they're afraid of that. Terrified. That's why they stay clustered into a, a, a particular teaching or doctrine or thought. And, you know, that's not only in Christianity. That goes to... Ms. Beck? Greg, are you there? Yes, I'm still here. I think we lost her. I think but, we lost but, her. Yeah, but you know what? She's absolutely right. Yeah. So many times we we look... Well, I'm going to say this. Sometimes we look to the leader of a church or a job or whatever, and we replace God with that person. Yeah. 
It, isn't I, that I sad? I would agree. I tend to agree with that. Isn't that sad? It's very sad, you know. And sometimes, you know, consequently, sometimes you have the spiritual leader or that boss or someone there that puts themselves to the level. Okay, we have Miss Beck back. I'm and, back. <laughs> all right. Yes. Good. Yes, thank you. You know, what Greg was saying before uh, when you got cut off, he says sometimes we put the spiritual leader or a boss or whoever's in leadership mm-hmm. to the level where we replace God with them. Absolutely. And they become our God, you know, and that's something that I learned a long time ago. Anything that you love more than God becomes your God. Absolutely. And some people will literally commit sin over their pastor. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I can remember uh, attending a, a church where there was some there was uh, some individuals where in the church they would carry pistols. Whoa. Because the pastor said, you need to protect your pastor. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I need to say I'm not there anymore. But, I mean, that was a thing that kind of threw me off. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Um, that might be, that's like, you know, worse than being in a club in a bad neighborhood, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, I mean, you disagree with the pastor, you might get shot. Right, that's that's a fool. You okay. know, <laughs> you know what I mean, and I think that's where, you know, where you start to make these people into bigger people than they are. You know, where you know they can't do anything wrong. You know, or anything they say is the law. You know, and and I think that's that's where we sort of make our mistakes when we start putting certain people. Above ourselves, you know. Question, so I, I truly believe that there's nobody above me. You're, and you're right. You know, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Not you know. Now I believe that people have different levels of favor and authority, but there's nobody over me. <laughs> and see, I would I would even go one step further. I don't think people have different levels of favor or authority. I think that we all have God's grace. I think it's about what we believe. I don't, and I've said this, and you know, I, I don't, I don't usually <laughs> preach in traditional churches because they probably put me out. But there is no difference between the pulpit and the pew for me, as a minister. I know that God's anointing lay equally in both places. My job as a minister and my job as a servant of God is to have you understand that about yourself that God is looking at me and you the same way. I have a different skill set than you. I have a different talent and a different gift to contribute to the world. But the anointing, you know, I, you know, you come up in churches and they'll tell you that, you know, don't touch the God's anointed person. Well, what's everybody else then, chop liver? <laughs> we have about two minutes left. We want you to give out your contact information, how people sure. can contact you for speaking engagements or one-on-one sessions. Absolutely. Um, you can contact me through, uh, first of all, you can visit my website at www.maximumlifecoaching.com or you can call me at 678-395-3545 or if you'd like to email me, you can email me at speaking to empower. that's S-P-E-A-K-I-N-G-T-O-E-M-P-O-W-E-R, Speaking to empower at hotmail dot com. All right, all right. Well, we thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. And I, I can tell you, Greg, we boy, when we when you all listen to this show again, you know, it, it'll be available right after the show's over on the on the Blog Talk website. <laughs> you're gonna re, you're gonna rewind this show quite a few times because we got some great information out of. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm I'm forwarding this show everywhere. <laughs> Thank you. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed uh, being with you both. Both. Remember, we're gonna have to do a part two. Absolutely, I'll come back anytime. I had a wonderful time, wonderful, wonderful time. And to your listeners, peace and blessings. And as I always say, go out, share your gifts, and manifest your maximum. Wow. All right. All right. When wow. life says no, Miss Rose says, you can think your way. Into a yes. <laughs> when life says no, you say, I said yes. <laughs> yes, so powerful. To our listeners, we would like to invite you back on Monday evening 
at 9 p.m. where we have another wonderful show. Greg, tell us about who's going to be on. we got about 20 seconds. That'll be my mentor, Don Boyer. He'll be on. Yes. You have to listen in to find out who he is. All right, all right. With that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we will see you all 9 p.m. on Monday. Good evening, and God bless. Blog Talk Radio.